This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and I'm so delighted to tell you about our very special guest today, who is also, as I've just discovered, an incredible humanitarian. Canadians fell in love with the beautiful and talented TV personality Melissa Grello when she co-hosted Toronto's most watched morning news program, CP24 Breakfast. Melissa Grello's also been co-host and moderator of the popular program, The Social, her brainchild since it first hit the airwaves in 2013. Since then, she's been part of leading important discussions, including her one-on-one interview with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for a CTV special and interviewing the hottest celebrities, musicians, and authors from around the globe. She's also a contributing host on CTV Your Morning, has covered Hurricane Katrina, traveled to Hollywood to cover the Academy Awards, and interviewed A-list celebs such as Jennifer Lopez, Taylor Swift, and Prince Harry, just to name a few. Melissa co-hosted CTV's Olympic morning program in Vancouver. No stranger to glitz and glamour, she's covered the TIFF red carpet since 2009. And of course, she's that beautiful and friendly face in the Santa Claus Parade, which she has co-hosted on CTV since 2010. She also hosts important network broadcasts like the Bell Let's Talk mental health special with Howie Mandel, and she's reported for two royal weddings from London and Windsor. She's a social activist who is trying to create change for the good in this world. And as a former teacher, education and giving back are important to her. She does tons of charity work, is the best mom to Marquesa, and even has her own gender-neutral clothing line for children called Mark. In 2019, Grella was named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women. She won a Canadian Screen Award in 2020 for Best Host, web programmer series for Bell Let's Talk Live. She was also part of the team who won a 2020 Canadian Screen Award for the Social Four Best Talk Programmer Series. But I have to say that it is her work in the last year of this pandemic as co-host and moderator of The Social that she has really been in her finest hour, disseminating and helping us all process the unprecedented events of this last year and showing us that beauty and brains, when combined with heart and integrity, is a dazzling and winning combination. Melissa Grello, longest intro ever in history. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you. I said, wow, who are they talking about? That is awesome. I've never heard my career condensed quite that way. And I thought that lady's pretty impressive. And then I'm like, oh, wait, that kind of maybe could be me. That was very sweet and kind. So thank you for that. Oh, my goodness. So well-deserved. Melissa, your career trajectory really is incredible. You began as a middle school teacher and realized in your 20s something that most people don't realize until much later or never, which is that you were not being fulfilled. You had another dream, and it was to become a broadcast journalist. And it must have taken a lot of courage to go back to school after a very secure career and go after your dream. Can you tell us what gave you the courage to sort of take a deep breath, reimagine and just go for it. I'm going to do my best to keep what was probably one of the most tumultuous times of my life to, you know, the shortest possible version. I like, you know, a lot of people had not stopped from early days in elementary school, high school, straight into university. And you're following the trajectory that you think life and is, you know, supposed to be, which is 
finishing your education, certainly with my parents, specifically my mother, education was highly revered. And so I kind of thought my life was going to go in a straight line following all of that, um, which was prescribed to me. And once I had um, hit my mid-20s and I had found a teaching job and I was on my way, it's funny how for so much of your life, you're always looking down the road to what you think will be the moment of deliverance, right? Like all of the angels and saints are going to start singing. And it's like, mm-hmm. you found your moment, you've got your job, you did it all right. And there's going to be a chorus of angels singing your arrival to your destiny or something like that. And quite opposite... I found myself after all the hustle, exhausted mentally, exhausted physically, exhausted emotionally, uh, probably a bit of burnout because I pushed myself hard in university because I, I am a consummate student and found that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And that's a very scary thing for someone like me who, you know, I say that I'm a perfectionist and I don't mean that as a term of endearment for myself. It's something um, that has kind of uh, led me astray. And and yet I thought I did all the right life and I was supposed to feel something once I hit, like I said, my journey, my, my you know, destination. I was feeling a lot of fear, a lot of doubt, a lot of insecurity because I was going to face something that I never thought I was going to face in my life, which was not being fulfilled. And you have to make a choice in those moments um, to listen either to that voice. And I actually, at the beginning, spent a lot of energy quieting that voice. And I said, no, this must just be a little bit of natural doubt. It's those maybe cold feet at the altar before you're about to get married and you're questioning things. And the longer I sat with it, the more I realized it it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Um, that was in my, you know, my working life. But parallel to that was a relationship that was dissolving rapidly. And so it really felt on both sides of my life, personally and professionally, that there was a lot of crumbling happening. And that was just filled me with a lot of fear. And it took the work of a business coach. Um, you know, my mom's best friend had said, listen, why don't you go see my business coach, uh, a trained psychologist? I didn't think that that was where I needed to be. And yet very quickly, I realized that's exactly where I needed to be. And we went on a six-month journey. And together, it was really facing a lot of stuff. It was facing my perfectionism. It was facing what I thought was weakness in quitting. It was facing expectations from parents. It was, it was facing failure and what we thought that was to me or not. And so we went deep. And by the end of it, um, he'll never tell you what to do with your life. You'll come to that conclusion on your own. And I certainly did by the end that journalism, um, and broadcasting, which my whole life I had been a news junkie and a reader and a writer and never thought once to explore that as a potential career path. But by the end of my journey with him, um, I found that that's where I belonged. And um, that the courage came from facing a lot of the scariest stuff that I had ever faced in my life. And um, in retrospect, I don't think courage was the word. I think it was allowing myself to, for maybe the first time in my life, being vulnerable 
And that's the beginning of the journey that has led me to where I am today. It's, it's awesome. And I, I want to ask you, so many people have the dream, but they don't all become one of the biggest stars in the country. Right out of the gate, you got a job as a reporter on television. I think you were still in school, in fact, when you got that job. What was that like for you? Actually, very exciting. It's not easy to crack the industry to get your foot in. When I was in school, because I had already had a, a you know short career behind me, I was one of the older kids in class studying broadcast journalism. And so I actually was really calculated when it came to trying my best to map out what those early days would be because cracking the industry, we kept hearing from all of our teachers and professors, it's so hard, it's so hard, intern, 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 free labor, free labor, free labor, uh, volunteer, 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 right? And so I kind of mentally was preparing for that. But it's like, I was already living out of my parent, like I was away from home. I was renting with girlfriends at the time, a great place in little Italy. And I had a little bit of a life. And I thought, oh my gosh, can I really go back there? Of course. But I did calculate that to finish the program, everyone was going to be seeking internships at the same time. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get a head start on this. And I started seeking internships. And so that did allow me a head start to get my foot in without having to compete with interns who were all going to be trying to hit up the same television stations for that coveted one or two spots if you were lucky. Um, So when I had gone in for my interview for an internship and they did say... We're not actually seeing anybody right now, but great that you're here. Um, it also happened to be coinciding with um, one of their weather specialists going on maternity leave about the same time. Wow. And so, which was luck. I mean, you can't orchestrate that. And then they had said, she's getting ready to go. We know you're in school, but it's part-time. Would you be interested? And when I had gone to my teacher's, they were like, just take it. We'll figure out everything else, you know, because it wasn't going to be about the assignments for heaven's sake. They were just like, this is an opportunity. So go for it. And, you know, I did have to do a bunch of other, you know, assignments to sort of technically finish up um, all the requirements for um, my education. But literally they were pushing me out the door going, we're going to figure out that stuff later. Go. And that's how it started. So it was a little bit of uh, luck and a little bit of planning. And that's where it landed me. That's so cool. And you you parlayed that and were promoted to City TV's flagship news station in downtown Toronto, City TV, where you woke up Toronto every day on the most watched and popular morning news program, CP24 Breakfast. Another like dream gig. When you got that gig, Melissa, did you sort of know, I think I've arrived, like this is pretty cool? It's funny because I'm going to fill in a few steps there because for anybody who was watching the media landscape around that time, there was a massive upheaval in our industry, as uh, we may very well recall, with with channels being bought out by other networks and there was a lot of change. And, um, and at the time the then chum did own the Barry channel. And I was really lucky that one fine day, the news director, um, from downtown, when you say downtown capital D as a small market reporter, you get excited (laughs) when the big wigs come up to where you are. And he had kind of in passing said to me, um, you know, you need to be on television. And I said, with all due respect, sir, because I didn't know who he was yet. Um, I said, with all due respect, sir, that's the plan. And I kind of said it snarky because it was like, that's what I'm doing here. And um, he, and he, within a year, 
um, had brought me down to City TV, which was still then owned by Chum. And then, um, you know, the very popular breakfast television at the time with Kevin Frankish, they were looking for a new co-host. And I was the new kid on the block. And in a way, my naivety <laughs> really gave me a lot of courage because I had walked into that news director's office and I said, hey, I hear that you're looking for a new co-host for breakfast television, only the number one show, you know, in the GTA. And I said, I'd like to audition. And he literally said to me, who do you think you are? And he said it in a really funny way. And I said, I'm Melissa Grello. Uh, <gasps> and, and I, to be honest, I had no, I, in retrospect, I don't know where I got that courage. I, it was purely naivety because I walked in and just like, Hey, said, give me a shot. And later came to realize there were so many people in the industry who had been there for years and years and years and years and years and had not done that. Maybe they should have, but maybe I was a little big and bold for my britches. But long story short, they did give me a crack at co-hosting twice. And then when the inevitable split happened in the industry where one network bought one channel, the other channel went with the other network, it was this huge divorce. I ended up on the CTV side. And very quickly, when we knew we were going to launch our own morning show to compete with breakfast television, I was like, I want it. I want it. And so I had said to the new boss uh, at CP24, I, if we're going to do this, I want to be considered. I really, 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 really want this. And he's like, you got it. So it was this series of, uh, again, um, being a little wet behind the ears and, uh, you know, that, and, and that push. And again, I wasn't 18, right? Like, let's remember having a little bit of life experience allows you to build a bit of that self-esteem that is really required to take those big steps at the sure, beginning of sure. your career. And you were being a teacher and, and, you know, running a classroom and this is just a bigger classroom, right? It's, <laughs> and, and you sort of knew what you were doing. So it's been the social that is a show that I and so many people are obsessed with because you just get it. You all get it. The conversations are intimate and so fascinating. And we all learn so much and feel like we're sitting at the kitchen table with you all. And what's even more fascinating to me when I was doing my research is that this has been your brainchild. You created it and pitched it and made this award-winning show happen. And it's been running for a very long time, uh, since 2013, I believe. Can you tell us what inspired you and how this all went down? You know, I had been doing uh, CB24 Breakfast at that point for probably at least two or three years. And, um, you know, the kind of chats we were even having on the show, Morning TV is really fun. It's light. Yes, at times it's serious. But, you know, it's it's infotainment in some respects. And I really enjoyed that part of it. But the more we were having chats on the morning show, um, you started to realize that for some subjects, you weren't really doing them justice because morning television moves very quickly. And I thought it was just so long overdue to have um, an all-Canadian female show discussing Canadian topics that we didn't have to follow the Americans discussions, many of which were not applicable to us. And I, I had thought, um, you know, when is a good time? Well, there's not a perfect time and there's not a wrong time. So like, let's go for it. And so uh, with the help of a couple of people in the industry, I kind of started to sit down and map out what possible segments could be and possible hosts can be and um, what time slots this could be. And, you know, working out a lot of those details that, 
I thought would bring something fresh and new to a Canadian led talk show. And, you know, then it was going back and forth with the, the bosses of the day. They had listened to my initial pitch, you know, it's hurry up and wait in television. And that did allow me though, to keep honing in on more ideas, um, you know, pitching more people to potentially work with. And I, it really lit me up to be very honest, to really think about the possibility, but um, you know, it's slow TV slow. And then all of a sudden one day, you know, a couple of sh- American shows were getting canceled. And, and I got a call um, back then it was Rick brace and he had called me up to his office and said, Melissa, we're going to do the show. Let's do wow. your show. And I literally looked at him and I was like, what? <laughs> I've been like, it's been a couple of years and I've been in here. I feel like every two weeks or so, cause I vowed to him. I said, you're going to be sick of me by the time this is over. And he's like, keep coming. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, I was relentless. Right. And that, listen, that's a risky move. You know, you can go f- very quickly from being seen as perseverant to an annoyance. And so you got to walk the line. And I really felt the conviction that we really needed this. And that's where it all started. Well, and boy, were you ever right. I said this in your bio, Melissa, but there were days in this past year with the devastating events, such as the tragic death of George Floyd, where you and the other co-hosts of your incredible show, The Social, really helped us process the unimaginable and helped us begin to make a difference to ensure that this tragedy would never happen again. How did you process all this? And do you think doing the show not only helped us as the viewers, and I'm saying this to all our listeners, but helped you as well? Oh, a hundred percent. This was an awakening for some people. If you ask any black Canadians, any African Americans and anybody of black or brown descent, uh, they're not awakening. This has been their reality. This was an awakening for everybody else. And sadly, uh, an awakening for everybody else, me included, but it was the, the hardest work. If you were truly going to be doing this right, individually, we all had a lot of work to do. And so um, I was doing both simultaneously. I was talking through this with the country, with my co-hosts, with my friends and family who are black and brown, and also sitting in bed at night and not only doing, I mean, the requisite reading, but the personal work. And that was facing the racism within me. And I think that that was the dangerous part of the discussions, which was it was easy at the beginning for people to say, well, I'm not racist. That was that person or that person or that action or those words. That's racist. But I'm not racist. And I think the hardest part for me is that if you were born and raised in the systems that we were raised in, you are racist. Uh, The entire foundation of our most important institutions like health, like education, like criminal justice are all founded on disadvantaging very specific groups of people and providing advantages and benefits to other groups of people. Our The fundamentals of our system were created under racist pretenses. So to believe that everybody else is racist or that's racist and I'm not was the most dangerous territory any of us could be walking on because you were trying to absolve yourself of personal accountability. And until any of us are able to look in the mirror and say, where am I racist? And let me fix that. 
we were never going to get anywhere. We still won't get anywhere if we are still finger pointing. And until you can face the white supremacy that lives in you, that lives in me, we will never, we will never heal properly and do justice to our brothers and sisters who are still experiencing racism simply for walking around in the color of their skin. And so that was a personal journey and one that we were also trying to navigate as a group and, um, and not put onto the shoulders of our black and brown sisters and brothers to do the work. It's our work. I know you're so bonded to your co-hosts, to Cynthia and Lainey and Jessica, Marcy until last October, and Tracy in the past. What was it like not being in the studio and being at home? It was really hard. It was really, 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 really hard uh, because we are really tight and... um to not physically be able to go through this together physically was extremely challenging because it's just not normal. Um, it's not normal for us and it's, it's just not normal for humanity. This is not how we were built to be. And certainly we are stronger together um, in many ways. And it was very isolating. I think it was very lonely for me personally. Um, and at the same time, I also believe that that was precisely why collectively the world, the country was actually finding itself in the place where it was, which was finally facing racism. Because I actually believe a lot of the loneliness and isolation really forced us to sit with discomfort um, because we weren't able to seek solace and right. go, go to a restaurant or go on a vacation and not think about it and, and, and repress it exactly. somehow. You had to face it. You had to face it head yeah. on. And, and you guys honestly did such an unbelievable, unbelievable job uh, doing this together and helping really collectively all of us process. So here's a question that's on a, a lighter note. Yeah, the camera loves you. We know that. But setting up a television studio <laughs> in your own home, I know even with this radio show, is a lot. Of, there's a lot of technology that's had to happen. You always look gorgeous. It feels like you're in the real studio. How has it been like that for you? And were you always tech savvy to begin with, or did you have a huge learning curve? Um, I could lie and say, oh, yeah, it totally comes <laughs> naturally to me, doesn't it, to everybody? No, I mean, I have to give kudos because our tech side of our team, they're just geniuses walking through, um, you know, having us on the phone and literally walking us through some of the most difficult things on the planet, or at least for me, it felt difficult. And so it truly was a group effort. I really enjoyed it. I'll be honest. I know some people didn't enjoy that part because, uh, you know, some people don't want to be a lighting tech and an audio tech and a hairstylist and a makeup artist <laughs> and, you know, an IT specialist and all those things. But yeah. I quite enjoyed the process. I like being self-sufficient. That was from my day's news reporting. You'd be in the field by yourself and a cameraman and you just had to make something happen. So <laughs> while it wasn't easy, I did enjoy learning a lot of the process. And uh, man, it's like, you know, Armageddon could come. I'm good. The zombie apocalypse, bring it on. Like my house is set. It's set. That's so funny. That's why I relate to it so much. I loved your TED talk, TEDx talk about growing up in rural Ontario on a horse farm with your hardworking immigrant parents who really did create and live the Canadian dream. What was it like growing up on a horse farm? And do you think your childhood and family life helped shape your life and career? It's my everything. It's so my farm life and my rural life, in fact, like I think everybody, uh, we're all just a product of our environment. We're a product of where we grew up. We're a product of our parents and all the other important influences in our life. And, you know, growing up was 
simultaneously really cool and simultaneously really difficult. And, and the difficult parts were uh, compared to a lot of my friends growing up. I had a really different and unconventional childhood compared to them. And so I always felt like an outsider because, you know, until I was about five or six years old, I kind of thought everybody had a horse farm. I know that sounds weird, but until you go to like your first birthday party at someone's house and see how another person lives, you kind of assume everyone probably has the same kind of life. And I remember going to my first birthday party and literally I said, do you don't have horses. And they were looking at me like I was an alien. And I started to realize, right. Okay. I'm different. I'm special. Thank you, Marquesa. And, um, so there was that. And there was also, uh, my racial background because I'm multi-ethnic and my mother's Filipino and my father's Portuguese, Brazilian, um, uh, both immigrants, uh, and all of us, you know, with a horse farm. So again, it's sort of unconventional family for where I was growing up in an unconventional, uh, career for my parents, which was the horses. Um, in a predominantly, um, white, uh, small rural town. And so I felt I, like I stuck out in many ways. And so while that was very challenging in many ways growing up, um, being a farm girl. So you, you're born and raised on a farm. And what do you do on a farm? You work and your value is based on how hard you work. And, and so my sister and I from a very young age were taking care of, you know, upwards of 60 horses helping. And we, uh, did that. I did that until I moved out at 20. Four. And that was my life day in and day out and juggling that with school and all my other part-time jobs, this and that. And so um, it, it completely made me who I am. I credit my entire work ethic to that. I credit self-discipline to that. I credit, you know, being a good goal setter, finishing what you start, all of that in my life, I credit to that. But of course, the challenges are, um, you know, feeling resentment when you're 16 and you want to go to parties and you have to feed horses and you're not allowed, you know, because my parents were super strict, especially my father. And I wasn't allowed the same liberties as a lot of kids were. And, and even with my friend group kind of feeling in and kind of feeling out because they were, it was a homogenous group. And, um, you know, I dealt with, definitely dealt with racism growing up. And, you know, it was always feeling like I didn't fully fit in the way that other kids fit in. And so there was a real tug of, of war inside of me and outside of me. And truly, if I'm honest, I don't think I really started to accept myself and uh, celebrate my differences until I was in university. And I think that was due to the fact of being around more diverse people and realizing like my small town, which is so diverse now, it wasn't back then, that little town wasn't the whole world. It, it was a part of my world. But as I started to grow and start to see the way other people were living. And I thought, okay, like I'm not an outsider the way I've kind of always felt my whole life. And yet that's already baked into your psyche. I mean, that's in, you know, and I always have outsider syndrome and imposter syndrome. And um, I don't think that'll ever leave me. And at the same time, it's also what fuels me to always work harder than somebody else in the room because I do always feel like I have to prove myself still. Sure, sure. You you have always worked very hard, whether it's research, whether whatever you do, you you do drive yourself relentlessly. You do a lot on air for charities, for your daughter, for your family, for the community. You even own co-own your own business. And at one point it became a bit much for you and you had an incident on an airplane and with the help of your colleagues who really rallied around you, and and really helped you. You kind of redefined your life at that moment as well. We're going to go on a short commercial break. And when we come back, we'll hear about that life-changing episode that you had on an airplane back in a moment. 
Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're joined by award-winning TV host, Melissa Grello. And you were just telling us, Melissa, about a life-altering moment. What happened? Uh, Well, I had a full-blown panic attack on a plane. I actually felt like I was going to die, and I didn't identify it as anxiety. And so that made it kind of worse. I actually thought I had low blood pressure and that I was passing out because we were ascending quickly in the plane. And I went to the front of the plane and I said, I need oxygen. And um, so they put me on the floor of the galley at the front of the plane and um, they called for a doctor, two of which came to the front and they d- tested my oxygen, uh, my, my heart rate. I gave me oxygen and the doctors were like, ma'am, your heart rate is fine. And I, uh, wow, I kind of thought, what is happening here? And I, in my early 20s, had dealt with a little bit of anxiety. I had a simple phobia of flying, but this wasn't that. It didn't feel the same. And when I had landed, I called my doctor right away because I said, this incident happened. And I'm like, what's going on? And it was her who said, let's discuss anxiety when you get back. And I thought, oh my God, that could be it. Um, Our bodies are so smart. I had been ignoring so many things. I will speak as a woman in particular, and at the time, a very new mom, and still thinking like I could go full throttle with my career the way I did before I had my daughter. Still thinking like I was invincible. I wasn't listening to my body, plain and simple. And I think what I learned from that was it was a real scary wake-up call that you can only push yourself so far. I was literally forced to slow down. It was almost like I had broken something loose that needed to be tended to. And it was not going to be uh, swept under the rug any longer because I started to have a very long series of panic attacks. And it was really scary. Uh, Listen, I'm a type A personality. I'm a control freak. And there's nothing that's scarier than a panic attack because can't stop it. And that's precisely why I was having panic attacks also, interestingly enough. So my co-hosts were amazing. Everybody that I worked with uh, was amazing. I didn't share it at first what was going on until I had to. I had a terrible panic attack shortly thereafter when I got back to work in our makeup room and some of my co-hosts witnessed it and my makeup artists. And at first I was really embarrassed and I realized they were just like embarrassed. This is not something to be embarrassed about. And we have to be kind to ourselves, right? We have to be kind and compassionate to ourselves. And thank goodness, you know, this was your wake up call and you got it and you, and you moved on uh, beautifully during the pandemic, you're still doing it all. And even homeschooling your child, 
And I think that must be pretty cool being a former middle school teacher. Lucky girl, your daughter to have you. Um, What has it been like homeschooling Marquesa? I have been really enjoying it. It's not easy. I'll, I'll say that. And I do acknowledge how lucky I feel to be not only um, a parent who is uh, who has the choice to homeschool, let me say that very clearly, and has that option, but to have also been a former teacher, she is very lucky, and I do feel lucky that I've got that in my toolbox. And I have enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And it has fundamentally changed the way that I am approaching her education, both in her homeschooling and what will happen after the pandemic. So I've really quite enjoyed it. So cool. Uh, Melissa, you are no stranger to Glitz and Glamour. And we've talked about some of the heavier stuff. You were in LA in 2013, recording for both CB24 and CTV for the prestigious Academy Awards. What was it like standing on the on that red carpet? Did you have sort of a one of those goosey moments, as mm-hmm. J Lo would say, where you just went, <laughs> "Oh my goodness!" Like, what is going on? A, thank you for the J Lo reference. <laughs> my power animal. That's number one. Um, no one's going to lie and say, "Oh, stars are just like us." They're they're not in those situations. That's what celebrities are paid to do and be. It's like they're supposed to, in those red carpet moments, feel and seem bigger than life itself and be like superhuman. And I'll be the first to admit that I get caught up in all of that as much as the next guy. And, um, you know, but what, what's really neat about covering big events like that is, you know, I am one of those people who does best with tamping down any, um, excitement or fanfare, or if I get starstruck with work, like I'm one of those people who once I get, I have a job to do. You can't be fangirling JLo if you need to interview <laughs> JLo. Like you, you got to get to work and be professional and bring out your best self because, you know, they are there to promote a product, a piece of work and art and creativity. And you have to give them that respect of not only having watched and, and read or whatever it is that they're promoting, but to ask really thoughtful questions about it. Um, that's just respect. And so you want to like be respectful of their art and their craft. Um, but you also do want to give the viewers what they want. And as amazing as it is to ask them about like, you know, how did you prepare for this role? It's also asking about the glitz and the glam itself. And we, let's be honest, we want to know how stars live and, and breathe and what they do day in and day out and who's in their circle and who are their celebrity friends. And so I love being able to tap into both sides of me, which is the cerebral, more academic intellectual side. And I also love the fluffy superficial stuff that, you know, listen, it's not going to change the world, but it's still super fun. Um, and you get to do both on the red carpet, you know, and it's a high pressure, high stakes situation because you might get one question if you're lucky. So you better make it, you better be so dazzling. They have to stop and talk to you. So I, I love the high stakes live nature of red carpets. It's really, um, it's one of those cool cherries on top. That's not why I do my job. But if you get to do that once in a while, it's a pretty cool experience. So awesome. My daughter asked me to ask you about Sandra Oh. My daughter's a musical theater actress and she loves Sandra Oh. Can you give me just a sentence or two on when you met her? I don't want to generalize, but Canadians are pretty awesome. And uh, as someone who is Canadian and then makes it big in the States, you you see this time and time again, They were, they will always fall back on being the Canadian, which, which is kind of, you know, they downplay themselves. They're kind of self-deprecating. They're really humble. They're really sweet. They, you know, they don't have this ego. 
Um, and so she's Ryan Reynolds is very much the same way with, with his personality. They're very similar. It's just they're fun. They're sweet. They understand where they come from, and they never got let the stars get to their head. They understand what's truly important. What about Kelly Clarkson? I love her. What was that like? Oh. Uh, she's a wild, <laughs> wild, fun lady. Like I feel like I need to party <laughs> with her or hang out with her because. She's my kind of chick. You know, she's super talented, no doubt there, but she also doesn't take it all too seriously. She's seen and done a lot and experienced a lot of the highs and lows in the business. Uh, and that's like, she has dealt with a lot of stuff and she, to still have a great attitude about it. And she's super funny, um, super self-deprecating. Like I dig her a lot and she's really, she's always down for a laugh. She doesn't like to take too much too seriously. And even going through hard stuff in her life, she almost deals, um, you know, humor is her yeah. lubricant <laughs> and uh, it's really fun to, to be around her. She's a really that's bright so light. How cute is Hugh Jackman up close and personal? Oh God, Hugh. <laughs> Paul, I remember when he came into the studio, um, our studio audience, it's like our studio audience is tough, right? Like they're very discerning when we were in studio, right? And when he came out, they just turned into a puddle of mush. It was like he could say no no wrong. He could do no wrong. He would just like move his arm and they were just like... Oh my God, Hugh. And that accent, like who doesn't love oh. an accent? And he's charming. And like, it didn't matter what he said. He could say like, this, the sky is purple. And then there would be like rapturous applause. Oh, yes, Hugh, the sky is purple. The, the, the audience just melted over him. And to be honest, I got it. I was sitting next to him and I was like, oh my. And Hugh stole the show because he stole, was, uh, yeah. Speaking of accents, you've done a lot of work with Prince Charles. Can you briefly tell us about what that's been like? Wow. It's been really neat because anybody who knows me knows I, I am a royalist. And, um, you know, uh, Prince Charles has kind of been ahead of the curve probably since the 80s when it came to things that are hot today. Things like organic farming and things like protecting the environment and, um, you know, protecting wildlife. Like Prince Charles was a trailblazer at a time when people did not understand what he was talking about when it came to climate change. You know, it's been a real honor to be able to partner with him and the Prince's Trust Foundation in a lot of initiatives that have great crossover in Canada, because while it started in the UK, he's expanded a lot of um, really wonderful programs into Canada, specifically working with Indigenous youth, specifically working with veterans in, in trying to get um, them to uh, to realize their entrepreneurial dreams, um, specifically with um, sustainable manufacturing and, again, organic farming and all this stuff that really speaks to the farm girl in me. It also speaks to the environmentalist in me. And so it was a, it's been a real um, honor and a pleasure to see um, how he's able, you know, perhaps virtually just because of his name, but equally because of his passion to mobilize people around him to, to care about the stuff that he was caring about like 30 years ago. Hmm. Unbelievable. You have worked with so many charities. You're always giving back, Melissa. Artbound, Free the Children, which have built schools in Kenya, India, and other developing nations. And you're always at fundraising events and uh, encouraging youth to become involved in their communities and doing charitable work. Why do you think it's so important to give back and be in service? 
what's that saying? I'll probably misrepresent it, but uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I think, you know, um, there are a lot of people who um, have, by virtue of, for example, geographically where they're born, will never be able to realize the same dreams as perhaps someone like me, who was just by luck born and raised where I was. And I think that the, the older and wiser I get, you realize that doing something for your sake alone, if there isn't legacy and if there isn't a way that you are helping out those who are coming up behind you, those who do not have the same privileges you do, um, you know, all of those things that you're, it really then is um, an exercise in selfishness. And it's one thing I, I do not think ambition is a dirty word. Some people do, especially when women are ambitious. I do not. But I think that ambition has got to, at some point in, in one's life, has got to have a big element of giving back. Because what is progress if you are not helping to reduce barriers and obstacles that you have faced so that the people behind you who still have a lot of fighting to do are going to have it just a little bit easier because you helped out and you helped open doors. And so my job is to really break down walls, barriers, doors, and simply provide opportunities for those who have simply maybe because of the area code where they were born, not have the same privilege as I have. It's, I think, a requirement of being human. That's incredible. This says a lot, a lot about you. I realize, Melissa, that your parents achieved the Canadian dream with hard work and determination, and you're doing exactly the same. You're living the dream and doing your dream job. And you've even said that what's more important to you now than success is significance. I love that. And you're a star in this country because you're a hardworking person who's great at what she does. And I noticed that you cite as your inspiration people like Michelle Obama for her grace and elegance, Hillary Clinton for her trailblazing in politics, and J-Lo, our fave, who we just talked about, who still (laughs) rocks at 50. But I think one of your greatest influences has been your mom. Can you tell us about your mom? who is a dynamo that not only raised a family, but also had a full-time job and managed the family farm. My mom, man, you know, um, they don't make them like her anymore. And she's in many ways a very ordinary Canadian immigrant story, which in and of itself inspires me all the time because I simply couldn't do what she did. And Um, she came to Canada without knowing many people, uh, very good education and started pursuing the Canadian dream of opportunity, a good job, starting a family. And it sounds so ordinary. And in fact, it is many people's stories. It's many women's stories, especially of her era. And yet doing that while one at a time sponsoring each one of her siblings to come to Canada from the Philippines, um, sending the majority of her paycheck back home to pay for the rest of her siblings' education in the Philippines, giving money to her parents who, again, were uh, very, very far from um, rich. And uh, being one of seven siblings, just having a large family and and you know, I think now how hard I feel some days are with one daughter, you know, all the luxuries of the world at my fingertips. And some days I'm like, I can't take it. And it's like, hold up, (laughs) hold up. Let's have a perspective moment. 
that my mother did all that and she did it with such a massive heart. Anybody who has met my mother knows it's her kindness is bottomless. I mean, I hope to be in life half the woman that she has been um, exhibiting strength. And so again, a very ordinary story. And yet I look at her and I think she's the most extraordinary woman. I love that. What is bliss for Melissa Grello? I think bliss is trying to seek um, fulfillment in what already is. It's a hard lesson. I'm not there, but I think it is gratitude for what we already have rather than consistently seeking that which we do not have. And so I think fulfillment, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, would have been a different answer. But I think today fulfillment is uh, being grateful and um, looking around and being thankful just simply for what I, I have. And that is the simple things. It's health, um, it's love, it's happiness, it's peace of mind, which has been increasingly, you know, more valuable to me. That's what I think bliss is today. Wow. Well, we're grateful and we're in bliss having spent this hour with you, Melissa. Really, it's been so wonderful. I want to thank you very, very much for this wonderful time. And what is the best way for people to follow you on social media? Definitely. I'm very active on Instagram at Melissa Grello. I have the same um, Instagram handle and on TikTok as well and, and Facebook page. So in that sense, I am, I am everywhere, but uh, Instagram is my social channel of choice these days. That's awesome. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Melissa meeting and interviewing Jennifer Lopez, and we'll get to hear J-Lo singing Let's Get Loud. You heard that right. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we've been having a wonderful conversation with television personality Melissa Grello, and we're about to talk about one of her favorite inspirations, Jennifer Lopez. What do you love about JLo? <laughs> What's not to love, Judy? Um, you know what? I've been a long time admirer of hers for a lot of reasons. And I think the reasons have even changed over time. I initially fell in love with Jennifer Lopez, I think as did much of the world when we first met her. And that was when she was a fly girl on In Living Color and one of the original uh, black comedy shows of my youth that I was obsessed with. And back then, my cousins and I, uh, my Filipino cousins, we had our own little dance troupe and uh, nobody knows about us because we didn't perform anywhere but <laughs> famous in our own minds and we love the fly girls we would try their choreography we would try their outfits and 
they were this uh, model of really strong, diverse, just cool chicks. And we just wanted to be like them so badly. And Jennifer uh, was one of those stars. And so that's when I first was introduced to her. And so over the years, when her career started to explode, when she added acting to her dancing and then eventually singing. And, um, you know, that's where I just went, wow, this is what evolution looks like. This is what constantly striving for your next mountain to climb looks like. And she just seemed to do it all evading, not complete scandals, but almost, which is very difficult to do in Hollywood, especially when you're dating some of the most famous men in the world and you become one of the most famous women in the world. And I just really admire her poise and her self-respect and the way that she cares for herself So I think that she, for me, signifies reinvention and she signifies real comfort with yourself. She really has embraced aging fully and wholeheartedly. She's not afraid of it. And she also hasn't let it limit her. And I think that for someone like me who feels like I'm just getting started, that she really represents, even though she's, you know, maybe a decade older than me, um, but it really represents kind of the way that I hope to age as well, which is with comfort and grace and, um, and just almost like don't care, but I mean, obviously look at her. Um, so I think, yeah, she's a role model on all of those fronts. Melissa, did you ever meet JLo on the red carpet? Um, I met Jennifer Lopez a couple times, but the one that stands out the most was behind the scenes backstage at her show in Las Vegas. It was an experience of a lifetime. But in this case, I wasn't interviewing her. I was there as a fan at her show and through a connection from someone we all know very well, Ms. Jan Arden (laughs) connected me with JLo's people. And lo and behold, I'm backstage in Las Vegas, hanging out with people like Laverne Cox, the Kardashians, um, Jessica Alba, Demi Lovato. I mean, it was a star-studded night in Vegas. And then there's little old me, nobody, standing backstage waiting my turn <laughs> to basically kiss JLo's feet. No, um, no, to, to go and talk to her. And I had recently, prior to that, interviewed um, Keith Urban. And so I had done a video with Keith talking to Jen through this video. Keith Urban, who had been a guest on The Social, I had mentioned him. I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to be seeing um, J-Lo next month. And he says, oh my gosh, it was his idea, actually. Let's record a video for, for he calls her Jen. Let's call record a video for Jen. And they had been on, I believe, American Idol together. So we recorded this amazing video. So I was all set. I was waiting in line. I was nervous. Like I've never been nervous in my entire life. I was shaking. My husband is like, I have never seen you like this. Are you okay? I I said, I don't know. But if I pass out, just, you know, I just help me land softly. Um, In the end, she was the loveliest human being you can imagine, which is very tricky because they say you be weary and wary of meeting your heroes. And here she was as down to earth, Jenny from the block, exactly as I imagined. I played her this video. She thought it was amazing. And she's like, oh my gosh, Keith. And then she asked me what I did. Um, and then, I mean, I like to tell this story as a quick joke, but I don't know if it was a joke. She really thought my husband was hot. <laughs> and after we had our chat, her eyes quickly turned and she says, who's this? I said, Oh, wait a second. What did, what did she say? I said, oh, this is my husband, Ryan. <laughs> so she says, oh, well, then let's take a picture with husband Ryan. I'm like, um, 
You know, nor any other woman, I might be mad, but it's you. So I'm okay with this. <laughs> so anyway, all I meant to say, it was the most amazing experience. We took um, some amazing pictures. She thanked me for coming all the way from Canada. She says she loves Canada. And uh, it was really, really neat. And so I had bumped into her again a couple of years later uh, at TIFF, in fact, when she debuted Hustlers. Um, and so um, I'm not going to say she remembered me or not, but she acted like she did. <laughs> so I'll just go with that story. <laughs> that's so cool. Oh, that's such a great story. Uh, I want to ask you, Melissa, about the inauguration. JLo was so fantastic when she sang This Land is Your Land. And I love that she incorporated part of her hit song, Let's Get Loud. How great was that? It was really neat. Listen, she's going to be the first one to tell you, like, obviously, that was a huge honor, I'm sure, to have been asked to be there. But the fact that she was representing uh, for all the Latinx folks across America in particular, who under the previous administration uh, probably had a pretty difficult time. Not going to, you know, I'm not Latin, but I can empathize with perhaps what they were experiencing. And so what a significant honor for her to have been chosen to be one of uh, the performers at the inauguration. And I saw through that as um, the daughter of immigrants and as someone who really oftentimes can feel like the outsider and can certainly sympathize and empathize with outsiders. What a way to say people are back. Diversity is back. Representation matters. And the fact that she threw in some Spanish in there. And that was a moment to say very broadly, culture is back in America. And I just burst out crying to be on. I was crying that whole inauguration, but it was such a moment, I think of validation and being feeling like you're seen and you matter and that you are a human being in its fullest. So I couldn't have been happier for her. I couldn't have been happier for me as a fan. I'm sure all her millions of fans were feeling that way. So great. She said one nation with liberty and justice for all in Spanish. And it was you just you just got the chills like it was it was. Yes, so great. I'm getting the chills thinking about it. <laughs> and that white outfit, Melissa, how stunning was that? That stunning white outfit when she walked down that runway. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she looked at me. I mean, listen, her and fashion, you know, whatever she wears. I mean, I'm just going to copy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I want to thank you so much, Melissa Grello, for being a guest on Finding Your Bliss today. It's been such a joy to have you here. It was an honor. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions. It's been an absolute pleasure. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we encourage you to follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. In Bliss News, we're excited to announce our support for I Read Canadian Day on February 17th, which is a national day of celebration of Canadian books for young people. This is a day dedicated to Reading Canadian and will empower families, schools, libraries, and organizations to host local activities and events within the week. We challenge the nation to read Canadian for 15 minutes and to share their experience at their library, school, with their families and friends, or on social media. Young people are encouraged to read or be read to a Canadian book of their choice. Also, we have a fabulous giveaway, Beautiful Roses from Toronto Florist, Lavender Grace. For details on how to enter, just go to at the Bliss Minute on Instagram. I would like to thank my guest, Melissa Grello, for being here today. And thanks to our featured artist, Jennifer Lopez. Also, a big thank you to everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. 
For everyone here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to go after your dreams and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.